Well, good morning, church. It's really good to be back with you again. Uh, Last week, Lauren and I and the girls uh, had a a great time reconnecting with my side of the family. It's been a while uh, since we were able to go to the Pacific Northwest. And uh, just to give you a sense of how different things are there, at least on the weather front, uh, there was a day where it got all the way up to 88 degrees. And everybody was complaining that they weren't sure they were going to be able to make it. Uh, And I just thought... We're at 88 right now, aren't we? I, I don't know what we are, but uh, 86, sorry. But uh, it, it, was, it was a good time to be with them. Uh, there was some talk, I think, with our guest speaker about possibly seeing riots and all that. I didn't, I didn't see any of that last week. I think there were 10 people downtown Portland. Uh, they would report each night how many people were protesting, and it was like 12 and then 10 and then 6. And then so uh, it seems like that particular uh, event is, is kind of petering out, but my parents live in the suburbs, and so we, we really weren't around any of that, but it's, it's good to be back again. I want to quickly uh, mention that we are next week starting uh, a new adult Bible class that we're going to call Soul Anchor. Uh, it's going to start at 9 o'clock here in the auditorium, uh, and it, it's going to be something that we'll be streaming as well, and so if uh, you're an adult and you're still staying at home uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, you're going to be able to be a part of this. So we want everyone who can to join us. Uh, we're holding off a little bit longer to have in-person Sunday morning Bible classes for our students. As school is starting up, we want to watch how all of that develops and how it goes. We want to learn from the schools. And so uh, we're going to wait a little bit longer on that. But as soon as the conditions allow us to start having those classes here and for us to feel good about what we're offering uh, we'll be doing that. But if, if you can, either join us in person or online next week at 9 a.m. Uh, for Soul Anchor. We're going to be focusing on uh, how can we hold on to our trust in God when things are difficult, when we're facing challenges in our everyday life. And we just felt like you know, that fits pretty well with what we're going through uh, together. So uh, be a part of that if you can. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this time uh, that you've given us to connect with one another and with you. We thank you for speaking to our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the presence of your word. We ask you to use this time uh, to reach out and shape our lives to look more and more like the life of your son, Jesus. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. So for the past couple of months, we have been focusing on the Apostle Paul's letter to a first century body of believers in the ancient Roman colony of Philippi. And we have been kind of overhearing the message that he wants to share with them first, but then through the power of the Holy Spirit, the message that he wants to share with us as well. And it's it's very focused He comes back time and again to the same overarching theme. He wants us to experience joy in an anxious world, and he knows that the way for us to experience that joy is counterintuitive, right? It's it's not something that's easy for us to believe or understand because it's so different from our own experience when it comes to us trying to figure out how life works and, and trying to strategize how, how best we can experience life. He says, you know, that, that all comes from the wisdom of the world, but we need the wisdom of the Spirit. And the wisdom of the Spirit teaches us that the best way to live life is for us to find a way to partner with the Holy Spirit 
so that Jesus' self-giving way of life gradually more and more becomes our way of life. Right? That, that in a world that is so focused on self-importance and getting ahead and looking out for, for us and putting ourselves ahead of everyone else, Paul says it's actually all backwards and upside down. That if you want a life of meaning and purpose and goodness and joy, well, you need to let Jesus' example become your guiding light. Become what it is you're chasing after. And he knows that that most of us are going to hear that message and we're going to struggle with it. And that most of us are going to try for a little while to believe that he knows what he's talking about, that Jesus knows what he lived out, and we're going to try it, and we're going to run into obstacles. We're going to run into our own selfish desires, and we're probably going to somehow rationalize it in our soul, in our hearts, that you know what? That was good for Jesus, and I'm really glad he lived that way, but I'm just going to kind of keep living the way that makes sense to me, and, and then maybe at the end of time, he'll have mercy on me, and, and it'll all work out. But what Paul is saying is, no, we can experience this foretaste of glory divine that we might be tempted to just say, you know, it's going to come someday in, in heaven when I get there. No, we can experience that here and now. But we have to trust in the wisdom of the Spirit that true life is found in giving our life away for the sake of other people, putting them first, dying to our selfish desires, and trying to imitate our friend, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, he says, look, if, if you're tempted like me to think that that's just about impossible, I know that it's possible, Paul says. I know it because when I look at other people who are following Jesus, they're not following Jesus perfectly, but they're following him faithfully. And I see them growing more and more into this image of Jesus, that their life really is taking on the the shape of his life. He says, I look at my coworker Timothy. I I look at at how he's growing and maturing into the self-giving way of Jesus. And I, I it's undeniable. And then he says to the church, why why don't we look at your own member that you sent to help me while I'm in prison? Why don't we look at Epaphroditus? We look at how much he's trying to do whatever he can to help me, to represent you, to help you. And and we we know he's growing, he's progressing in the self-giving way of Jesus. And then he says, you know what, I don't really want to draw attention to myself, but I'm going to open up my own life story and tell you, I know I still have a long way to go, but I feel like I'm growing, I'm maturing in in letting the self-giving way of Jesus become my way of life. And to the degree that I'm able to do that, Paul says, I have found true life, I have found real life. Because as we follow Jesus, as we, as we imitate Jesus to the best of our ability, as we partner with the Holy Spirit for that imitation of Christ to grow deeper and deeper into our lives, we find that we're closer to Jesus than we've ever been before. Paul says, I, I don't want to be the only one who's experiencing that. I don't want it to just be Timothy. I don't want it to just be Epaphroditus. I want it to be you. And so now we get to Philippians chapter 4, the final chapter of this relatively short letter that Paul's writing to this church and to us, and and we get to the, the focus, what he's been building up to this entire time, we finally get to the payoff. But before we do, I want to point out why this, maybe for some of you, this is not your first 
exploration or study of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Right? And you, you may have studied it several times before and you think, okay, I think I know what the payoff is and it happened back in chapter 2. Or I think I know what this is really about and it happened back in chapter 3. Or maybe back in chapter 1 when, when Paul says, you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know your favorite verse from Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is what I know about Philippians. It's filled with so many great sentences that we tend to kind of take those sentences out of the letter and then kind of paste them up. And the thing about that is you get truth, but it's kind of abstract, generalized truth. Now, what that means is you get a part of what Paul's trying to get us to see, and and that's good. But it can often cause us to miss the deeper truth, the specific truth that Paul is trying to get us to learn. And not just to learn, but to live. This happens all the time, right? Kind of accidentally taking a verse out of context, ignoring the sentences around it that, that lead up to it, the sentences that lead out of it. Kind of missing out on the broader theological conversation that Paul is really trying to have with us. And in the, in the process, you kind of get what I would call bumper sticker scriptures. Right, so here are a few examples, and I'm pretty sure we borrowed the back of this truck from Josh, so thank you for the, we, we didn't really put the stick, those are virtual stickers, right? So, right, so let's look at them. Rejoice in the Lord always. If that's all you've got is that one short phrase, it sounds like, you know what, just decide right now to be happy, and it'll be fine. Just rejoice always, right, and yet, You and I both know that when it comes to the joy that Paul's talking about as Christian people, it's a lot more robust. It's stronger than fleeting happiness. It's a decision we make, and it's not an easy decision we make. It's a difficult decision we make, especially in those moments when we naturally are having experiences that would cause us to experience anything but joy, experiences that rob us of joy. That's the kind of moment that Paul's saying, yeah, when you don't actually just feel like it, Choose joy. Okay? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You just stop right there. It sounds like, if, if the, that's all I've got, that Jesus is getting ready maybe to, to through the power of force, take over the world and, and make everybody submit to him. Right? But if you read it in context, back in Philippians chapter 2, you know that's not what Paul's really describing. He's talking about the end of time, and he's not talking about the way Jesus is going to be elevated through his own power. It's not through force, but it's through the power of God's grace. Don't worry, just pray. Right? And this is the kind of advice we give to people when they're racked with worry. Right? And they usually appreciate it about as much as you would think. It's the, the, prayer is not wishful thinking that everything's going to go smoothly. This sounds like a Christianized version of Don't Worry, Be Happy. Right? Now you're going to hear that Bobby McFerrin song for the rest of the sermon. Right? It gets stuck. It just won't go away. That's not Paul's. Paul, look, for prayer in Paul's life, it's a hard-won partnership with God. Not expecting that everything's going to go smoothly, but expecting that when things don't turn out the way Paul wants, he believes that Jesus is going to be with him, that Jesus is going to carry him through when things aren't going smoothly. Right, And then the one right on the bumper, I can do all things through Christ. Man, this one travels all over the place. And in fact, where you most often see it outside of Scripture is at sporting events. Google Evander Holyfield, 
Right? At one point, he had boxing shorts that on the side had Philippians 3.14 stitched there, which I take to mean he was hoping Jesus Christ was going to help him win a boxing match. Can't possibly be what Paul had in mind when he wrote that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And in fact, if you go ahead and read in Philippians chapter 4, better translations don't say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. They say I can do all this. Well, then you have to look at what he's talking about, right? Which is learning to be content in any and every situation. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is even the bumper sticker version of these verses, there's, this, there's a kernel of truth in all of it. The danger is it leads us to think that the Bible is super quick for us to understand, right? That we just can glance at it. In 10 seconds, we're going to get this truth that Paul is trying to share with us. And yet what I find in my life is that if we stop there at just this first glance reading, we miss something that's more specific and in many ways more helpful if we'll actually listen to what Paul is trying to say. The same is true of a verse that I want us to focus on this morning uh, for the rest of the time we have. And that's Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, Paul writes, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Have you heard this one kind of taken out of Philippians and used as general advice to people, growing up in church, I heard this verse quoted often. I wouldn't say so much to people as much as at people. Quoted at people who, for whatever reason, were struggling and disappointed, uh, discouraged, and, and some well and in, in, you know intended Christian brother or sister would quote this passage to them, and it always felt to me like a more more poetic version of. You know, you just need to have a little more optimism. Just look on the brighter side of life and you'll start to feel better. And as somebody who would never be accused of being a natural born optimist, I always felt like that, that advice just, it, again, it's, it's poetic. It's, it's a beautiful verse. But it's difficult if the primary way we're using it is just to say, you know, just, just think about nice things. Now, I want to stop there for a second and say there's a reason that we're drawn to that level, that, that kind of, I would say, initial surface level of Philippians 4.8. And that's because there's some truth to the idea that it's really important for us in a world that can often seem overwhelmed with bad for us to choose to focus on the good. Right? We've all had moments like that. In fact, at the beginning of the, the coronavirus pandemic, there was an American actor, John Krasinski. You may recognize him from various things. He started producing these uh, news videos. They're relatively short, and they were designed from beginning to end. They had all these uplifting, encouraging stories and entertaining interviews with people that were doing amazing things. And the whole purpose of it was to say, look, I know that things feel really dark right now, but I want, I want to point my camera, right? I want to I take my microphone, and I, I want to I shine a spotlight in the midst of all this dark that's going on, that there really is light in the world, and I, I watched these every time they came out, and I found that I felt better, right? I felt more hope 
because it helped remind me that it's so much easier, at least for somebody like me, it is so much easier to focus on what's wrong instead of what's right. And so there is this general truth, right, that if we could, in the midst of everything going on in our world, if we could shine the spotlight of our souls on what's true and noble and right and pure and lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, we'll feel better. And if we feel better, we may just start to treat one another better, right? That's a general word of wisdom that we can absolutely learn from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. But I, I think we know that there is at least one more layer here, right? That Paul is also trying to get us to, to think about something a, a little more specific than just general goodness. And here's how I'd say it. I, I think Paul isn't just encouraging us to try to find eight different kinds of goodness in life. I think he's trying to encourage us to find different kinds of goodness in the people we share life with. Right? Philipp- you got to keep this all in mind, right? What's Philippians ultimately about? It's about relationships. It's about our relationship with Christ shaping us so much that it Im- impacts our relationship with everybody else. Philippians is about relationships. In fact, I would argue the entire New Testament, ultimately, when it's all said and done, is about the restoration of all relationships. All brokenness, all pain, all all disunity, all of it healed in the love of God, right? And so Philippians calls us back to thinking about not just what in our world reminds us of this, but who in our world. So I want to ask you that. As you look at this list, Not what, but who comes to mind for you? Who specifically do you start to picture as you think about these kind of of positive values in life? We asked a handful of our Southern Hills Church members that question. And we're going to share their response to you uh, with you now. When I think of the word true, I think of Bill Kirkpatrick, one of our faithful members. Bill is what you see is what you get. He's the same on Monday or Tuesday or any day of the week as he is on Sunday. So he's the kind of person that exemplifies Jesus and being true. When I think uh, of people in our congregation who exemplify being noble, uh, one of the persons I think about is Janet Arduino. And she's a Christian woman, wife, grandmother. She's been a business leader, a civic leader, and an organizer deluxe. Think about this, uh, our work with the schools and with Make a Difference Day and things of that nature. She's also uh, somewhat of an expert on uh, heart surgeries, having had several since her early years and even uh, uh, in the last few months. Uh, She and David raising three children. Uh, She could have had a different response to all of this, but she didn't. She chose to be, uh, to live her life in a noble way, setting forth a good example to all all the rest of us. And we're so grateful to God that he uh, allowed her to do that. And we're grateful to Janet for her example of life. When I hear of the word right, I think of Lauren Edwards. I think of her as a dentist and how well she treats her patients because I hear that from them. I also hear from her 
employees how much they respect working for her and love working for her because she's right and she's fair with them as well as fun. I think of her as a Sunday school teacher of the three-year-olds. And even as three-year-olds, they need rules to obey, and, and she has those in her classroom. But they flow to her out of love because she knows that, the, that she cares for them. I also think of last year when I was approached by uh, Lauren and Jeffrey to help feed the children as we were preparing meals because they couldn't provide the time. I didn't need the money at that time, but a year later I did. And so I picked up the phone and gave them a call and they did not hesitate to do the right thing and they stepped up and gave generously. When I think about the word pure, a name that comes to my mind is Holly Rocca. I think about her smile and the way that she laughs and the way that her laugh makes other people laugh. I think about the way that she takes care of the kids in our congregation and the way she gives them her full attention and her full focus. And it's just a very pure example of love. When I think of the word lovely, I think of Mindy Hureman. And actually, initially when I think of the word lovely, I think of beautiful, and she is beautiful. But she is most beautiful to me because of the way that she looks at other people with loving eyes. She takes all of her interactions and, and extends grace and compassion. She leaves people feeling like they are lovely too. When I think of the word admirable, Carrie Beard is someone who comes to mind. Um, Carrie chooses to invest his time in people, and um, he invested in lots of different types of people, whether it's young kids um, going to their games and talking to them, giving them a hug, or eating with uh, youth at um, Jay's Barbecue, or whether he's just hanging out with his friends, or serving with the older people in our community. Carrie's um, just a great overall person that lots of people respect. When I hear the word excellent, I think of Suge Springer. She is such a servant and she loves everyone at Southern Hills and everyone loves Suge. Just seeing her and getting a hug from her makes your day better. I love seeing her smile. She's always positive, always encouraging, and I can't wait to get my next hug from Suge. When I think of the word praiseworthy, I immediately think of Danny Mitten. He is such a loyal, faithful servant, so humble in all he does. He and his wife, Kathy, have been through so many trials, but they have always remained faithful to God and trusting and loving and serving others. That's how they responded. How would you respond? Right? Who comes to mind? I, I love listening to our brothers and sisters in Christ share the faces and the names that appear in their hearts when they hear true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Right? It's such a, a good way for us to realize how, how people show us ways that we can hold on to our hope and our faith and our joy how people can encourage us and inspire us and show us what it really looks like to follow Jesus here and now in our world. We need those kinds of people. And it is obvious to me that that, that practice, it's, it's entirely connected to the essence of the wisdom that the Apostle Paul is sharing here in Philippians 4.8. But 
I actually think there's another layer, right? I think that Paul is pushing us to go even deeper. And he's asking us to consider doing something that's even more difficult. I mean, that video, you know, if you had to use a phrase to describe it, it would be heartwarming. But I think what Paul's pushing us towards here is is a little more challenging, at least it is for me. And it's something that he believes Jesus did in his relationships and we need to start to learn how to do in ours. But we can only see that if we put Philippians 4.8 in its broader context. And Paul does that for us, not just throughout the whole letter, but starting the first verse of chapter 4. So let's read that together now. And this is going to help clarify for us what's on his heart and mind as he writes the verse we've been focused on. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. I am convinced that Philippians chapter 4 verse 2 is the key to understanding why the Apostle Paul wrote this entire letter to this church. It's actually not a letter to a church. It's a letter to two church members, two church leaders, two people, two women Paul has worked alongside of who have somehow managed to get themselves into a place where they have had some kind of falling out, some kind of gut-wrenching disagreement that is not just hurting them, it's hurting the entire church. It's not just tearing their relationship up, it's tearing the church apart. And so he writes a letter to these women and to the church that they share life with. And like a good parent who's having to deal with two people who are fighting, he uses the same verb twice, right, to say that they're, they're both a part of this problem. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same, excuse me, <clears throat> the same mind in the Lord. This is the core teaching of this entire letter. And if we don't keep that in mind, we start to think that all of these different verses, we could just kind of apply them in general ways when Paul has something very specific, right? This, this verse unlocks our understanding of the message Paul wants us to get, and that is... That while conflict in the church is necessary, while conflict in the church can be healthy and it can be creative, it can only be healthy and creative if we are able to have a passionate commitment to holding one another in a loving relationship as we passionately disagree. And if we're going to passionately disagree, we better only be passionately disagreeing about our church's role in the mission of God. Right? So there's this passionate commitment to one another that I would argue has to be stronger than whatever passionate disagreement we're facing. And whatever's happening between Yodi and Syntyche, it's not a healthy conflict. Right, Somewhere along the way it has become toxic and ugly. And so that means it's not just negatively impacting the morale of, of the Philippian church as they gather together. It's more than just that. It's impacting Negatively, that church's witness to the surrounding community in Philippi. Who wants to go be a part of a church that's fighting in ugly and toxic ways, right? The world doesn't need the church to teach it more about dysfunctional conflict. 
Right? There's plenty of other places the world can go. And Paul says, no, this isn't just about how you get along with one another. It's also how people see the work of Christ among you. We can't, at this point, reconstruct what conflict, what exactly they're fighting over. But you can guess how they're acting based on the kinds of things Paul keeps coming back to over and over in Philippians. Right? Somehow or another, they have decided to put themselves over the other. They've decided to do anything they can to get their way, to force their way. They have forgotten that they've promised to live in the way of Jesus, and instead they, they're, they're not imitating Jesus. They've settled for being experts in the subject of Jesus. And Paul says, enough. You have forgotten what I know you believe really matters. So I'm going to call you back. And as uncomfortable as it has to be, Paul calls them out in order to call them back. Can you imagine, they came to church, Epaphroditus gets back with a letter from Paul. Everybody's exciting, excited, right? They're all at a buzz. They're going to get to hear from the Apostle Paul. They sit down, they all start listening to Epaphroditus, read the letter out loud at church, and everybody's agreeing. And you know how this is. You've heard a challenging sermon before about forgiveness, perhaps, and you think, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this sermon. Because they need to hear this sermon, right? And you're not thinking it's for you. And you have to think, Yodi and Sinsky were sitting as far farther as they could in the room, right, from each other. And they're giving each other the side eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should be living the way Jesus wants us to live. You should be putting me above yourself. And then he gets to chapter 4 and he calls them out by name. Can you imagine if a preacher did that to you in the middle of a sermon? Not to joke. But to call you out. For being the problem at church. That's what he does. And he only does it because he he loves them too much to let their conflict tear the church apart. He loves them too much. Enough, he says, enough. Stop trying to get what you want at all costs and come back, both of you, to the self-giving way of Jesus. Come back to one another. Come back to peace. Come back to love. Come back to joy. Come back. And do you know what bridge Paul believes, what what bridge of belonging, what, what, what is it that holds that bridge together? It's how we look at one another. It's how we choose to see one another. Because what Paul wants them to do is he wants them to find the ability to see each other the way Jesus sees them both, even when they're being difficult. He wants them to see each other in a different light, a new light. He wants them to look at one another and search for traces of Jesus, even if those traces of Jesus are buried deep. So let me be real direct here. Can we go back to the uh, Philippians 4.8? Somebody? We can't do that. There we go. Okay. I didn't know with the video. Okay, this is what's going on. Paul's saying, Yodia, I want you to look at Syntyche, and I want you to look at her long enough until you see something that's true, or noble, or right, or pure, or lovely, or admirable, or, or excellent, or pra- look at her long enough to see it again because it's there. Paul wants us to see the good in our world, but he doesn't want us to stop there. Paul wants us to see the good in another person, but he doesn't want us to stop there. Paul wants us to keep going. 
He wants us to keep growing until we are able to see all the good in a person. We have a hard time seeing any good in at all. He wants us to be able to see all the good in a person that we don't want to really see any good in at all. And sure, the reality is uh, we're probably not going to instantly see eight different amazing ways that they're good when they're still difficult and frustrating to us. But the promise is if we look long enough through the eyes of Christ-like love, we will eventually see at least one way that person that we don't really get, that we don't understand, that frustrates us. Maybe there's been a falling out. Maybe there's, well, I don't know what kind of problem exists between, I mean, all of us have different ways that our relationships fall apart and break. Eventually, we're going to see something in that person that reminds us of Jesus. You know I'm going to ask you, right? Who is your Yodia? Who's your Syntyche? Don't answer out loud. I was joking with with Stephen, you know, we made this nice heartwarming video, and you look at your building a sermon, you're like, I got it, we have a video for one point out of three, we need a second, vi-. but could you imagine a video if Stephen and I kind of started to go to people and said, hey, we need you to answer the question, who really bothers you, but kind of sort of reminds you of Jesus? Every once in a while. You know, and that, so we start that nice plaintiff music, and the, the screen brightens up, and somebody says, you know, I can't stand Jared Robinson. He annoys me. I don't like his preaching. I only go here because my family wants to go here. But you know, every once in a while, I hear him say something that's true. I don't know how he does it, but every once in a while, he says something that's true. And then it goes to me, and I'm smiling, and I say, Stephen Corbett's a jerk. In fact, I had to get someone else to video me say that. You know, he's just, it's all, it's out of, you don't, you don't know how hard it is to work with Stephen. You know, but every once in a while, kind of strikes me as pure. Every once in a while. And then it goes to Stephen and he says, you know what, Mark Phillips, I just, I don't know. Could you imagine a video like that? There's a part of me that thinks Paul would love it. He would love it. He'd want it to go for every member in the church and it'd be his favorite movie he's ever watched in his life. Because he'd say, that's the place you start. That's the bridge of belonging where you're able to come back to one another. It's how you've stopped seeing each other. It's so easy to focus on, to only see the bad. And I want to be clear about this. Paul's not asking us to ignore the bad. He's asking us to stop denying the good. You're going to see the bad You're going to experience the bad. Don't deny the bad, but don't deny the good. Hold it together in your heart somehow. And and here's the thing, right? we got to learn to look at one another the way we know Jesus looks at us, even when we're being, especially when we're being difficult. Who's your Yodia? Who's your Syntyche? I promise you, whoever it is, there's something in them that's worth pursuing. There's a goodness in them that's worth celebrating and cherishing and honoring. There's Christ in them, even if they've forgotten it. In other words, there's something good enough in them to give you a good enough reason to walk across that bridge of belonging and start over. Now, here's the thing. We'd all give different answers. And I know sermons like this. I've listened to sermons like this. We get to the place where it's like, eh, 
No. You kind of have this twinge in your heart and your soul, like, I know who the person is for me, and you just don't know. And then we give up. And Paul says, no, we can't give up. So here's how, this is not the NIV. It's, it's not even a new, you can't trust this translation because my words are in it. Okay, but to help you keep in your mind, I think what Paul's really trying to get us to get to It's not just random. It's whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, in a difficult person. Think about such things. Because that's our way back to one another. It's our way forward. So think about those things. And let Christ lead you from there. We're going to sing together now. And and as we do, I hope that you wrestle with who is it that you've stopped seeing any good in. And take the time to look at that person once again through the eyes of Christ-like love. Let's stand and sing together.